Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity, God, to come to your house and learn from you. God, I praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that your mercies are renewed this day. I thank you, Father God, that you've given us an opportunity to serve you today. And Father, the very fact that we woke up this morning means that you're not done with us yet. And God, we praise you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I just told Pastor Caleb it's pretty funny because nobody's really going to believe the fact that we don't ever get together and talk about things before we do things. Because he was just up here declaring about Canaan. He was just up here about taking the territory. Hilarious. We're talking about entering in this morning. And we're basically, I'm going to follow right up and keep teaching with what he was declaring here just a few minutes ago. And no, we did not get together and have a talk about what we were going to do this morning. So if you're turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, while the promise entering, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Verse five. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. There is so much in just those 11 verses, we don't have time to cover it all, but let's just see what we can get to. See, chapter three started talking about Jesus is greater than Moses. And that goes all the way through, midway through chapter four. Jesus is greater than Moses. Why was the author comparing Jesus to Moses? Simply, the Israelites had a really big problem, as a lot of modern-day churches have. The Israelites worshipped Moses, not the God of Moses. They held Moses in more esteem of what he did 
than what the God of Moses did. Make sense? A lot of modern day churches hold modern day prophets and preachers as gods rather than the God they serve. We are following in the exact same footsteps of the Israelites. You see, things in the Old Testament, as we know, foretell, or they are foreshadowing of things to come. In the Old Testament, you had Moses, who led the children out of Israel. In the New Testament, we have Jesus. Moses was a foreshadowing of Jesus. You have the Israelites, right, who were led out, God's chosen people. The New Testament, you have the church, right? Being brought out of our sins, being saved, being sanctified from our sins. Then you have the Red Sea. Once the Israelites were brought out, they had to cross the Red Sea. Once we get saved, we have to have the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus applies, which brings us through into a salvation. Tripped all over my words there. You're welcome with that one. And then you have the promised land. The Israelites were promised the promised land. We have the promise of heaven. But then when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, they entered a wilderness place, right? They were promised heaven, correct? But they all didn't make it, did they? They didn't make it. They all didn't make it. So if the things of the Old Testament are, for, are a foreshadowing of the New Testament, why would we be arrogant enough to think that all who believe will make it if they operate in disobedience to what they believe? See, <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's quiet. The fact is, I'm coming from a place of Baptist boy, once saved, always saved. No matter what I did, I was still saved, period. That's where I came from. Y'all know that, right? But everybody doesn't mind teaching about how Moses is a picture of Jesus, how Israel is a picture of the church, how being brought out of Egypt is a picture of salvation, how crossing the Red Sea is a picture of the blood of Jesus, how the promised land is a picture of heaven. But nobody wants to talk about how a whole generation died that had the promise of crossing into the promised land, but never did because of disobedience. Nobody wants to preach that. Nobody wants to teach that. Why? Because it's not popular. It's scary, as it should be. I'm way off my notes. Israel's failure to enter Canaan becomes a solemn warning here in Hebrews. The rest promised us is not an entrance into a place, right? The rest promised us is not a physical place here on earth. The Israelites were promised Canaan. We are promised heaven. But the state of being a peace that passes all understanding is promised to us here as we live. Some commentators view this rest as a future heavenly reward. Others feel that the term describes the present experience of the believer who has fully surrendered 
to the lordship of Christ and is totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. Which kind of makes me laugh because it's both, right? We are promised the hope of heaven, yes, but we are also promised peace that doesn't make sense here, right? Now listen, I need everybody on this part to seriously pay attention to me. Because what I'm about to teach could be completely misconstrued if you miss a word, okay? So I need everybody, I'm just, I'm just pre-warning you, okay? I'm going to read again Hebrews chapter 4, 1 and 2, then I'm going to get into it. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. Pause. Good news came to us, the believers, as it did to the Israelites back then. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Talking about the generation that didn't cross. It didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. With those who listened. It is abundantly clear that this rest that we're talking about, entering into this rest, hinges upon belief. It hinges upon belief. Hearing the gospel alone does not save. Hearing the gospel alone does not save. It is belief, it is acceptance and confession that open the way for entrance into what God has prepared for those who love him. What are you saying, John? Coming in and sitting in, checking off your Sunday morning church and listening does not benefit you unless you put feet to what you are learning. You can sit and have a lifetime of services about salvation, but until you put action behind it and come down and willingly accept the free gift, there is no salvation to be had. Does that make sense? Y'all follow me? I'm going to furthermore talk about this in Psalms 23. It's your turn, Psalms 23. See, last week I preached in Indiana on the shepherd out of Psalms 23. But it's interesting because this very thing we're talking about goes right along with Psalms 23. You see, Psalms 23 isn't just a funeral passage, right? There is a lot in Psalms 23. There's six verses there, but you could probably spend, I don't know, let's just say a year studying those six verses and trying to fully break down what they're saying. So let's read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm gonna stop right there. I'm gonna state the obvious, okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That doesn't mean I don't want the shepherd, okay? I learned here recently, I'm not going to not stop the, state the obvious anymore. Because some 
When I was being raised as a young kid, I heard that and I'm like, why wouldn't I want the shepherd? I don't get it. So I'm gonna state the, state the obvious. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What that means is I shall not want for anything because he is my shepherd that leads me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, if you like to underline your Bible, some don't, but if you do, he leads, underline leads. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads, underline leads, me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word leads is used twice. Interestingly enough, it's used twice. What are you getting at, John? In studying about what a shepherd does, a shepherd leads. A shepherd leads, right? A shepherd leads his sheep to the pastures, nice pastures. The shepherd leads his sheep to the calm water. But nowhere in the Bible, in history, or in being a shepherd does it say that the shepherd gets behind, takes them by the back of the neck, shoves their face down, and tells them to eat or drink. Our shepherds lead us, but they're not going to take the back of your head and make you eat of where they've led us. They're not going to do it. You see, God is a gentleman. Jesus is a gentleman. He will lead, he will love, he is there for you, but he's not going to make you take his love and generosity. God has given us everything we need to make it. Everything. There is nothing you will face, nothing you will encounter in life that isn't an answer in here somewhere but it's up to you to find it. It's up to you to accept the free gift of salvation. It is up to you to accept hmm, as you seek the infilling and the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, What's awesome is in verse six, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, we love that verse. We love it, don't we? It's peace, it's comforting, it's knowing that I'm, I'm gonna do this. But if you don't do your part, you're not gonna do number six. It's not gonna happen. It's not going to happen. Elder Jeff, I love gleaning from his wisdom, y'all. And I use him all the time. And he, you know, usually, stop. But I love it. 
Because I love talking to people who have knowledge in different areas than what I don't have. We should all seek to talk to other people who have knowledge in different areas that you may not currently have. It's cool. I don't know much about being a farmer. He does. I didn't know much about being a shepherd, but he's seen it firsthand and witnessed it. You know what the crazy thing is? And, and I asked him about this story the last time we got to meet. I was taught growing up that who all, we all know the 99. Jesus left the one, right? He left the 99 to save the one, right? We, we all know that story. Let me tell you how I was taught that story as a kid. Jesus left the 99 to go get the one. But when he found the one, he picked him up and broke his leg and threw him over his shoulder to teach the lamb a lesson. That's what I was taught. Because you see all the pictures, right? Everybody sees the pictures of the lamb, right, around Jesus. He's got his staff and he's carrying him back. And we were taught the reason he was carrying him back because he broke the dude's leg. How to teach him a lesson. That's how I was taught. And I was talking to Elder Jefferson. Man, that story's kind of bothered me a little bit. <laughs> Elder Jeff looked at me and said, that's a lie from the pits of hell. Okay. See, when you study about shepherds and what shepherds do, shepherds operate completely different than from an owner who owns cattle or donkeys. Okay, a shepherd talks to his sheep. Someone who owns cattle or donkeys, they hollering at them, aren't they? Here you are now, hey! I know a guy who had a donkey that wouldn't listen. He hauled back and just punched him right between the eyes. They both kind of, you know, dazzled themselves, but not a shepherd. A shepherd speaks, shepherd talks. Right. Elder Jeff told me a story about when he was overseas, he was up building a church and he was up on the top putting a roof on. And then he said it looked like a, a dust storm was coming towards him, right? Off in the distance, you see all these cl this cloud of dust and he was like, whoa, wasn't sure what was going to happen there. Then all of a sudden he saw it. It was three different shepherds with three different herds of sheep, and they were all coming to the same watering hole. And Elder Jeff said, <laughs> he sat back and said, well, this is going to get interesting because none of the sheep were tagged, none of the sheep were marked. They were just in their herds. So the shepherds got them all there. Once they got them in, everything was cool. All the sheep were drinking, and the shepherd boys went and decided to be boys wrestling throwing rocks, you know, just doing what boys do. Then it came time to go. Another Jeff, he sat there and was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Let's watch this. Let's see how this works now that they're all mixed up together. And he said, what happened was one shepherd came to this side of the pond and stood. Another one came over to this side of the pond, stood. And then the last one came over to this side of the pond and stood. And then you know what happened? They started talking. Not yelling, started talking. All right, it's time to go. It's time to go. All right, let's go. 
then they would start to walk. And Elder Jeff said the most interesting thing happened, those sheep started to disperse behind the shepherd that they knew. What are you saying? How many times in the word, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice and they will follow my voice. You see, the one sheep that got away, was he rebellious? Did he forget what the voice of the shepherd sounded like? What was it? Don't know, it doesn't say. But let's just say for argument's sake, he was rebellious. So he turned a deaf ear to the voice of the shepherd. So Elder Jeff explained that what that picture really means, the reason the shepherd would pick the sheep up and put it around his neck is because the sheep is supposed to listen to the voice command of the shepherd. Well, apparently this sheep had an issue with that. So instead of trying to chase this sheep all over the countryside back to the herd, he would pick the sheep up, put it around his neck, and then talk to the sheep the whole way back. So then that sheep would then tune his ear to the voice of the shepherd. Hmm. What does all that mean, John? How do you enter into rest? How do you enter into the promises of God? How do you enter in? How do we make it into heaven? Pastor Amanda, and I've said it a lot, I'm gonna say it again, and I'm gonna say it until the day I die. She preached the most powerful sermon about being saved, not getting saved. As we walk through this life, we are continually being saved until the point of death or rapture when we go to heaven at that point where we will be saved. You see, Psalms 23 talks about the shepherd leads to the pastures. The shepherd prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. In the presence of your enemies. Which means he'll lead the sheep to the nice green pasture but what has he brought, what desert has he brought them through to get them to the green pasture? What enemies were out there as he brought them in? But see, it all, as the book says, hinges upon belief. And then the next phrase is hearing. See, if you hear the gospel, but you don't hear the God of the gospel, you see the difference? There's a difference in hearing the gospel and hearing the God of the gospel. We want to live in peace, confidence, strength, everything that God has promised us, but we can't walk in that unless we hear the voice of God and allow him to direct us. You see, the children of Israel had every chance. My goodness, they had every chance. I mean, they saw Moses stand on the banks of the Red Sea and... Talk about miracles, signs, and wonders. But yet they rebelled. But Moses stood in the gap.
How many times have we rebelled? And we've come back and asked God for forgiveness. And the devil has gone into the courts of heaven and said, look what they did. They deserve judgment. But yet we have an advocate who sits there and says, wait a minute. My blood, they have asked, they are covered. Just as Moses was an advocate for the children of Israel to stop God's wrath. I don't have time to tell all the stories, but I'm pretty sure most of us know a bunch of them. Jesus is there to be our advocate to stop the wrath that we deserve. And it's not a once done and done thing. It's an everyday thing. It's an everyday confession. Father, please forgive me. I know I've sinned. Please, Father, forgive me. It's an everyday walk, but it's up to you, it's up to me to do the work behind it. That's where it all comes down to faith without works is dead. That's where it all comes to. It shouldn't be confusing anymore. We can sit here all day long and believe that God will save us, but unless we put the work behind it and trusting, making the step, say, okay, God, I'm trusting you, then it's dead. Then it's dead. No, you can't work your way into salvation. Again, I'm gonna point out the obvious. You can't go out here and work at charities all day long and expect to be saved without bending a knee and asking for forgiveness of sin. You can't do it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? Every week we come in here, y'all listen, we are spoiled. We are spoiled, we are spoiled, we are spoiled here. We are so blessed to have pastors, have staff, have people that work here day in and day out to protect the presence of God in this place. That everything they do is with excellence. We are spoiled. Not every church in America is like this. They're not. So we need to do our part to help Protect the presence here. And how do we do that? By listening to the word of the Lord. And when correction comes from the word of the Lord, don't get prideful and arrogant and buck against it. Just say, God, please forgive me. It's okay. We all mess up. It's cool. Not to mess up, but to ask for forgiveness. It's okay. It's okay to say, I'm not perfect. You know what the crazy, oh man, my time's up. I'm gonna tell you this, I'm gonna be done. You know what the craziest thing is when Tara and I have had the opportunity to go somewhere and share our testimony? You know what the funny thing is? Is 100% out of 100% of times, I have people come up and say, wow, you were honest. <laughs> Y'all who were here, you heard it. And it's a brutally honest testimony. The problem is we're too afraid to share our scars today. The problem is we want to wear long sleeve shirts, long pants, 
cover all the way up as we can and not let anybody see the scars from where God has brought us from. The fact is, is we are all fallen. I've got scars and I'm not gonna allow the fact that the devil got me when I was weak and I didn't allow, anyway. I have scars from my own stupid decisions and I'm not gonna let the devil get the victory by not giving God the glory for bringing me out. Does that make sense? Did I get that right? It's time we start being real because we serve a real God. We are really a fallen people. We don't intend, at least I hope not, we don't intend to screw up and mess up and all those things, but we do. It happens. Get it under the blood, seek forgiveness, and quit acting like a Pharisee, like we're perfect. Because we're not. Allow your deepest, darkest thing that God delivered you from to help that next person who's dealing with the same thing. If we want to enter in, if we want to be a part of the promised land, we have to hear the voice of God. If we want to enter in, we have to listen. But in order to enter in, you have to do your part. Why is praise and worship so important? How many times have we heard, let's enter in, let's enter in, let's enter in, let's enter in, let's enter in? <laughs> because it sets the tone of what's gonna happen here. Pastor Caleb preached last week about unity, right? We all, we all heard that. No, I wasn't here, but I listened. <laughs> it was about unity. And, and, I, and I texted him earlier this week. You know what the interesting thing is? If you read Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two, everybody loves to jump to Acts chapter two first, right? Because that's when the cool thing happened. But you know when the maybe not so cool thing happened? It happened at the end of chapter one. You see, there was a problem. There was only 11 disciples. Everybody knows the number 12, what does that mean? Perfect government, unity, correct? There was not perfect government because there was only 11 disciples. So they had a problem, they needed one more. At the end of chapter 11, they came before together, they cast lots, they prayed and they seek, they sought after who should be the 12th disciple. And that was given to them, a 12th disciple. Then they were in perfect government. They were in perfect unity. Then they were in the upper room. Then the spirit of the Lord came. But they would have not gotten there unless they were got in line <laughs> in perfect order here. What are you saying? If you're sitting back here, if we, not you, we sit back here in our pews and we are out of line with what God's wanting to do, we could kill the whole service. So why does the worship team push? Get in, get in, get in. Because they're begging you, which they shouldn't have to, but they're begging you to get ready for what God wants to do. Because our anger, our doubt, our whatever you wanna call it, could be the reason somebody misses because we are out of order. Father, thank you for today. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength. 
I pray, Lord, that you will allow us to hear from you today. God, allow us to follow you. Allow us, God, to hear the voice of our shepherd. Father, I ask, God, if there is anything in me that is not of you, I ask, Lord, that you'll forgive me and you will uproot it out of my life. God, I ask, Lord, that right now that you will be with the service, God. I pray, Lord, your presence to be thick in this place. I pray, God, Lord, that anybody who walks in here that's something not of you, that it will get uprooted in the name of Jesus. God, I pray protection over this house, protection over our pastors. God, I come against every spirit that tries to come against. Every Jezebel, Leviathan, confusing, sickness spirit that tries to distract God, we cast it down in the name of Jesus. God, we don't have time to play around anymore because your coming is so close. God, allow us to be humble. God, allow us to understand, Lord, that you are what we need, nothing else. God, allow us to know that when you are convicting us, allow us to not have pride, but God, allow us to confess it and get it out, Lord, so we can follow you. God, please don't let us miss. Don't let us. God, please allow us to be a part of the remnant. Keep us humble. Because God, your word says in the last days, many will be deceived. God, I pray, Lord, for discernment over my life, over the lives of everybody here, that God, we will hear your voice and not be distracted by the voices of confusion. Father, I love you. God, I praise you. Lord, you were, you were lining so many things up. God, please help us not to miss it. Father, I pray that you will be the rest of the service, God. Anoint everyone who has a part. And God, I pray that chains will be broken. I pray, God, Lord, that lives will be changed. I pray, God, Lord, for the greatest miracle of salvation is to take place in this room today. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen and amen.